with something every believer will face. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Persecution. It will be part of every believer's life. Why? I thought Jesus loved me. <laughs> he does. That's why he allows me to suffer, go through afflictions, difficulties. It seems like God is mad at me. No, he's not. He's not. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way, <laughs> which has been my experience for a long time. He says, I love you, Ed, but I don't love that. We're working on that right now. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. All around the world, Christians are being persecuted and some are even dying for their faith. But this shouldn't surprise us as we're told this would be the case in the last days. Welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray as we get back into 2 Timothy. In chapter 3, we'll be reminded we face persecution if we seek to follow Christ. Beginning on that very point from verse 11, here's Pastor Ed Ray. Persecutions, suffering, Every one of you who are real believers suffers, goes through persecution. People talk about you, they criticize you, it gets back to you. Maybe it's even more open than that. You've been disowned from your family because you've come out of some other religion, some cult or something. It is the reality of every true Christian's life. You will suffer for being a Christian. Maybe you won't get the job you wanted. Maybe you won't have the relationship with somebody you wanted because you're too religious, you're too Christian. But whatever the way it manifests itself, promotion, getting to a school, it's the reality of every person's life. So Paul says, I suffered persecution and afflictions, physical pain, and it happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, and that's not very far from Ephesus, but Paul mentions this because that's where this young man Timothy was from that his family was in Lystra, and it was there that Paul was stoned. They tried to kill him, and they left him outside the city. So he's referring to that, so Timothy will remember the difficult things that Paul went through. So it happened near your home. Persecutions, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. You saw Timothy in my life, and I'm reminding you because you're in persecutions now, and God's going to get you through it. It's going to happen. And then he makes a statement, a promise, that not many of us would like to claim, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It will be part of every believer's life. Why? I thought Jesus loved me. <laughs> he does. That's why he allows me to suffer, go through afflictions, difficulties. It seems like God is mad at me. No, he's not. He's not. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way, <laughs> which has been my experience for a long time. He says, I love you, Ed, but I don't love that. We're working on that right now. Ouch. No, not that the body file again, you know, the sandpaper, the orbital sander of life. That's God's on our lives. You will suffer persecution. There's no exceptions. Those who think they are following God and they are not persecuted 
careful. Check your reality. What's really the truth in your life? That's what this says. We need to examine ourselves if we've never received any criticism for being a Christian. If you've not offended your friend telling them about Jesus who doesn't know Jesus, then you're not living out your faith strong enough. Ooh, pastor, that really hurt. I know, it hurt. I said it to myself. If you got in the line of fire, I'm sorry. I was speaking to me. Amy Carmichael, a missionary woman who saved thousands of Indian females out of temples in India, wrote this. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. But hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yes, I was wounded by the archers. This is Jesus speaking. Yes, I was wounded by the archer, spent, leaned me against the tree to die and rend. By ravening beast that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yes, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But you are whole. Can you have followed me with no wound, with no scar? She caught up, and that, was, that poem came out of this verse, that she realized that a lot of the difficulties she was going through with her family, rejection by her family, and uh, a man who she wanted to marry, who rejected her because she was too Christian. And on and on it goes. So if you're struggling here, got, had a tough week, tough, tough year, know that it's probably part of God's plan for your life to help you become more like Him. Yeah, verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. These two are bad, Timothy and Ephesus, but it's going to get worse. A deceiving and being deceived. It's going to go on and on and on until Jesus comes. Now, he says, but as for you, verse 14, but as for you, believer, as for you, Timothy, but very much each one of us in this room who have surrendered to Christ in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. But you learned to abide because you watched my life. That's what he's saying. And verse 15, and that from childhood you had known the Scriptures. You know what Scripture says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Literally, it says, from a child, infant child. So we know that this is because of two women in Timothy's life, his mother and his grandmother. His grandmother's name was Lois. His mother's name was Eunice. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.5, that from the earliest childhood, they gave this young man scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, of course, at this time, but the New Testament was being written during his lifetime. So Timothy is the result of a godly mother and a grandmother. A little word of encouragement for you moms. You keep pouring it in, and we act like it. We sons act like we don't hear you, but your words are powerful. The words of a mother last for a son's life. And I've seen it happen where men come to me in their 50s, in their 60s, and they say, you know, my mom, my mom read scriptures to me. She told me Bible stories. She sang songs to me. 
and I've made a mess of my life, what do I do? Hey, you do what we all do. You say, God, forgive me, take my life, I surrender. So moms, you just keep doing it. I don't care how old he is. If he's still alive and you're still alive, pray for him. Moms, you got a daughter that's running wild? Pray. It happens over and over again. I see it in ways that I don't tell you about because of people's personal stories. But there are literally, be careful how I say this, there are many, many people. You see hands that go up every weekend because God is saving people's lives. And then I hear the story weeks later, and they'll make you weep how stubborn we all are against God. Just keep praying, Mom. Grandma, do it. Keep going. I had a godly grandmother, too, and I helped her get closer to Jesus, too. So you moms and grandmas, just keep praying. We're praying for you, and you pray for them. To make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You knew the Scripture then, and you know it now. You see, this is kind of an important statement. The essentials is Scripture to lead a person into a faith with Jesus Christ. For salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures do that. It starts with Scripture, knowing what they say about salvation. Even if you've never read Scripture, you hear somebody say it, or you hear somebody else talking about it, and it has the power to change lives. It's where it starts in every one of us, every one of our lives. If you want to understand salvation better, you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we're glad you're here, I already said. Go get a Bible. We'll give you a free one. Just go over to those double doors when the service are over, and we'll hand you a Bible and go read the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You read that through three times and you'll never be the same because it is the power of God. We'll see that in just a minute. It's through the Scriptures that we learn that we're all sinners, every one of us. Every person in this room, whether you admit it or not, every one of us are sinners before God. Scriptures tells us that. The Scriptures tell us that we learn that our, our sin has brought a separation between us and God. That there's a gulf between us because we allow sin. It's through the Scriptures that we learn that God has provided a remedy for that problem, that whole in our lives. God loved us so much that he allowed his son to come and die in my place and in your place. And scripture teaches, draws us onto that path that we understand. Well, which scriptures? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 16. All scriptures. It's manifold. The, the different scriptures God uses in each one of our lives. I bet if we took time to ask each person in this room, there'd be very few duplications. God uses just all Scripture. The word all, pass in the Greek language, is just what it means in the English language. Every single Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You've tuned into Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's reminding us we can have confidence in the Scripture. Every word is inspired. Now with more on that from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, once again, here's Pastor Ed. Literally, theos pneumos. Theos, theology, God, study of God. God, theos, pneumos, breathed. Pneumatic tools, guys, you got air-driven tools. Every scripture, every scripture is God-breathed. 
Now, you hear me because I'm exhaling. That's what this is saying, that it rattles my voice box, and you understand it because I articulate words. Men, God used to write down his words. They spoke them out and wrote them down. 66 books over a 1,600-year time period, 40 authors minimum, men from all walks of life, from farmers and fig pickers and fishermen to intellectuals to doctors, physicians like Luke, to highly educated rabbis like Paul, all manner of people with education, without education, with a station in life, some position, and with nothing. This is a work of God, what we're looking at this morning. Every scripture, every verse is God-breathed. Thus, therefore, it has power to change my life, to change your life, because God is in every one of them. Now, I've seen this go the other way over and over again. I've sat down with young men and young women who have gone off to seminary, and they come back, and their faith is shattered by so-called scholars who tell them, well, the Bible contains the Word of God. Don't you believe that? And here's the verse that says that's not true. It's not that the Bible contains the Word. All Scripture is from God. Every single one, Pastor? Yes, every single one. Well, how can you believe that? Well, it's because impossible things are written in this book. I know a little bit about mathematics, okay? If, if you read Stoner's book about the eight miracles. Okay, rabbit trail, not in my notes, sorry. But I want you to feel the power of what this book has, why God has left it so obvious that no thinking, rational, logical, honest person can ignore this. There are eight miracles. There are 300 about Jesus, his coming, his first coming. But there are eight of them that are just impossible that the Bible would predict 400 years before Jesus was born that he would be born in a little tiny village called Bethlehem. And that when he would die, right before he'd come in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and that he would be pierced hands and feet on a cross more than a thousand years before anyone had been crucified. On and on, there are eight of them that Peter Stoner wrote about, and he gave the statistical probability, he was a statistician, of that happening by chance alone. Here's what he found. He did the mathematics. The chance of that happening, all eight of those miracles being predicted hundreds of years before it happened, are one times 10 to the 17th power. Now, what that means is that it's a one with 17 zeros after it. That's like a really big number, okay? A million has six zeros, okay? A billion has nine, etc. One times 10 to the 17. Well, give me a way that I can understand that. Here's what he said. If a silver dollar was given for every one of those 1 times 10 to the 17th power possibilities and was put in the state of Texas, it would cover the state of Texas two foot deep of silver coins. And you go out and walk across Texas. You can go as far as you want. Go any place in the whole state of Texas and then reach down and grab a coin. And if you pick up the coin that I marked in advance, the odds of that happening are exactly the same as eight prophecy being fulfilled of Jesus' first coming. Don't tell me, well, that's, that's a coincidence. <laughs> no, no, that's an impossibility in any logical person's mind. 
That's why I believe this book. It's impossible. And that's only eight of the 300 prophecies about Jesus' first coming. Is this book reliable? It's so far beyond reliable that it boggles the mind of any honest, I'll say it again, thinking atheist. Call me. We can talk. (laughs) My inspiration. God breathe. Okay, so he says there's four things here. Profitable for doctrine. It's a Latin word, doctrina, that actually means what I believe. All of God's word is profitable for what to believe. Reproof. Hmm. The word reproof has an interesting concept, conviction. It's the gift of God. We think of, oh, no, I'm convicted. This is terrible. No, no, it's a gift from God that tells us I messed up again. And so it allows us to bring conviction when we read God's word for correction. <laughs> Epanathoros, orthos is the root word. Orthopedics is to straighten a leg that's broken or a back or something like that. This word literally means to get straight for correction, to get right with God, actually to lift a person up straight who'd fallen down. Mm, fallen down. We're surrounded by people who are hurting that need a touch from God that would come through us to them. Okay, short illustration. I was listening to one of my mentors, one of the guys that I have in my life that I watch carefully because I want to be like him because he's doing it right. And somebody asked him what he did differently in ministry as a pastor for decades. And what he did differently now as an older pastor than what he did as a young pastor. He said, well, as a young pastor, when I got to a disaster, somebody's life that was upside down, some kind of tragedy that overwhelmed them, I used to come like a cop. You guys said, what do you mean like a cop? Well, I write down all the facts. You know, I wanted to get it all straight. Well, it was like a car accident, you know, while the car was traveling at 55 miles an hour and blah, 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 trying to establish blame. He says, well, what do you do different now? He says, I come as an emergency room doctor, as a paramedic as someone who is able to triage people and, and stop the bleeding on the one who needs it most. You, believer, me. That's what God is saying to us, that we would pick people up who are broken, that we wouldn't say, you know, it's probably your own fault. You're an idiot. We're all idiots, okay? We won't ask for a show of hands, but if we were all honest, <laughs> we, we should all put our hand up. Yep, just call me stupid. What we should say is, God's love is bigger than that. His mercy, his forgiveness is sweeping, it's wide. And he's waiting for you to just come and humble yourself before him one more time. That's instruction in righteousness, because I don't have any righteousness, and neither do you. And if you think you have your own righteousness, you need to go back and read this book a little more carefully. It is a gift, Romans 5, 17 says, righteousness. Genesis said that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. He didn't have any either. So God's gift is rightness. And you need to say that to people. You don't have any righteousness, but God has it waiting for you. All you got to do is say, God, I need your righteousness. And it comes. And the last one is a character concept. Okay, last verse. That the man of God, again, is arthropos. It means man or woman. The woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Scripture does. It gives us this opportunity. When we expose ourselves to it, it does those four things to us. I love the little statement that if you meet a person whose Bible is falling apart, they probably are not. 
if your Bible is all worn out and beat up and you have to change it out every couple of three years, then God has probably got a pretty good hold on your life and you're safe. Basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's a book of instructions to take us there. Okay, a little short illustration of this. Before the Second World War was over, a young man went down to a small Bible college in the South, and then about halfway through the war, he transferred up to Wheaton, Illinois, Christian college there. And God began to use this young man, and he became well-known in the Midwest. He began to speak, and, and he was an evangelist, he found out. As he'd talk about Jesus in front of crowds of young people, they'd start getting saved. They'd give their life to God. And he joined with the founder of Youth for Christ, and they went all over the United States, and they went to England, and God was using this young man. Then in 1949, his best friend, Chuck Templeton, Charles Templeton, who was also a young man used by God, Templeton decided to go to seminary and then came back. And like I described earlier, it ruined him, broke his faith. And he said to this young man, you can't teach this anymore. The Bible's not the Word of God. It might have some parts that are God's Word, but you can't trust it. People aren't going to come anymore because they're getting too smart, and they'll understand that it's, this book is not God's Word. And the young man began to struggle because this guy, Templeton, was just a little older than him. All this happened in this area, okay? And so the young man in 1949 had a crisis in his own faith, and he quit speaking in front of crowds. And finally, he went to a Christian conference center in the San Bernardino Mountains called Forest Home. And there the speaker was J. Edwin Orr. Now, Orr is the uncle of Mark Zeman, who comes and plays here sometimes. Again, there's all this happening right in this area. And the young man explains to Orr this crisis he's having, that he can't trust God's Word anymore, that it's not the Word of God. And Orr says, you need to go out, sit down in front of your Bible, and ask God to show you. So that's what this young man did. He went out, sat with his back up against a pine tree in Forest Home, and he said this, I dueled with my doubts, and my soul seemed to be caught in the crossfire. Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God that is revealed in Scripture. I knelt before this open Bible and said, Lord, many things in this book I do not understand. But you have said the just shall live by faith. All I have received from you I have taken by faith. Here and now by faith I accept the Bible as your word, even that part that I cannot understand, and I will reserve judgment on it until I receive more light. If it pleases you, then give me authority as I speak your word, and through that authority convict men and women of sin and turn sinners to a Savior. That was the turning point for Billy Graham. And he went to Los Angeles that next year, and he spoke before a small crowd. But the second night, his crusade had to bring chairs in from the outside, and it happened over and over again in L.A. All because he said, God, I don't understand it all, but I accept it as your word. Go do the same, and you'll never be the same. Pastor Ed Ray concluding our time on Grow in Grace with a challenge to accept the Bible as God's Word. There's ample evidence for it that will bear up under the scrutiny and struggles of the best of us. 
We're going through 2 Timothy right now, and we hope you're getting a lot out of it. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit deal and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. 